God, we're looking to you this morning. It's been such a great conference. And I'm asking, God, that you would speak and that you would minister. Lord, you love the men and women here. You have intentions for them. You have futures for them. You have plans for them. God, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that this brief message would be a part of that work, contributing to the work that you're doing by your spirit in encouraging and lifting up and building them up in their holy faith as they serve a holy God. And Holy Spirit, lead our time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. There's no question that the Apostle Paul is a, is a hero of the faith. I, I think about heroes and I think about, you know, we just have come through the Olympics and we've got uh, Byron Clay. Uh, we've just heard about the YPO Little League team. I mean, what are the chances that a Little League team from, from Hawaii wins the international Little League championship and by such a large margin? Um, I, I think about the heroes that I've got in the faith, uh, certainly the ones in the Bible. I've got heroes that are a part of my life that are contemporaries of mine, people that I look to. Uh, but I want I wanted to define hero uh, very briefly here and uh, say that it's an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Christopher Reeve. Not the guy I usually quote when I'm teaching a sermon, but, uh, but he's, he, he had some really good insight, having been through the things that he was going through and lived through uh, and died from, to understand what it means to be a hero. It's an ordinary individual that, despite all the obstacles, keeps going, perseveres, and succeeds. I like what Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, said about a hero. He said, a hero is no braver than an ordinary man, but he's braver five minutes longer. And I really think that that's a really good definition of what a hero is. The longer that I'm in ministry, the more that I admire people that last. Uh, the more I admire people that are serving the Lord 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 years later. I used to be impressed with people that, that uh, had giftings and abilities. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still blessed by those gifts that people have, but I'm impressed with people that, that last. Uh, I'm from the island of Kauai, and we've got pastors that are from every kind of uh, denomination you can imagine over there, and some of the people that I consider uh, with the highest regard are some of the Pentecostal pastors. There's a Methodist pastor over there that I have high regard for, a Baptist pastor, and uh, and a pastor from the Christian Missionary Alliance. Why? Because these men are still there. I've been there like 13 years, and there's hardly anyone left from when I got there. And there are like 50, 60 churches on that island. But the people that I have the greatest admiration for are the people that, that last, the people that are still there, the people that are still serving God 10, 15, 20, 30 years later. And they're still vibrant and passionate for the kingdom of God. Part of the reason I'm so impressed with it is because statistically, pastors and church leaders don't have a great record. Uh, George Barna, along with Focus on the Family and, um, and uh, along with Fuller Seminary, did research recently, and they found that 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry right away if they, could, if they could find a secular job that would take care of their family. Can you believe that? 50%. 80% of seminary and Bible college graduates who enter the ministry will leave the ministry within the first five years of ministry. 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every single month due to moral failure, spiritual burnout, or contention within their churches. So just, just the fact that you're here. <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking, hey, we're still here. 
You know, we're alive, we're kicking, we haven't left the ministry, you've still got a hunger for God. And I, I I'm not trying to, uh, to, to overstate things, but that's heroic. You've lasted five minutes longer than a lot of other people have lasted in the kingdom of God and the work of God. I know some of you are probably here somewhat discouraged, a little bit overwhelmed. You've got some real battles that you're facing in ministry, in your personal life, with family, marriage, kids. Uh, You're facing all those things. And I want to encourage you. You are still here. You are still standing. That makes you heroic. That makes you something different because of God's power working in you. He has enabled you to endure, and to last. Paul was a man like that. When we pick up this text in Philippians chapter 1, he's already gone through the whole book of Acts. He's planted churches. He's been on three missionary journeys. He's visited and strengthened the churches. Uh, He's he's launched people into ministry, including Timothy. Uh, we've, We've already talked about Barnabas. We've talked about a lot of the heroes of the faith already of the New Testament. And he was a significant player in most of those men and women's lives. But here we find him in jail under house arrest in Rome. He, he originally was arrested in Caesarea Philippi for preaching the gospel. There was a big riot. Uh, he was arrested. He was supposed to be tried immediately, but it lasted for two years. Nobody wanted to make a decision on his life. And uh, so they played politics and left Paul in prison for two years. At the end of that time, uh, he appealed uh, to Caesar. And so to Caesar he went. But along the way, of course, you know that he was shipwrecked on Malta. And out of all of these chaotic discouraging, difficult uh, situations that Paul faced. He just kept kind of bouncing to the surface, and God kept blessing and kept advancing the cause of Christ through his life. And we find him in this text actually writing the church in Philippi, who had actually given him a gift to help him survive during those, those two years that he would be in prison. We know that later he would be released and then for a short time would continue to minister and then would be rearrested by Nero and then finally martyred for the cause of Christ. But we find him here addressing a Philippian church that was actually worried about him. I mean, you can imagine. You know, imagine that your pastor was arrested and that he was imprisoned and was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. There was very little that you could do to help. And you were thinking to yourself, how could this happen to this godly man? Why would God allow this man to be in prison? Why would God allow this hardship? Why would God allow this trial in his life? This is such an obstruction to the advancement of the kingdom of God. This is such a, an obstacle to the purposes of God in reaching Rome and, and the, the Asia Minor area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would God put Paul, of all people, on the shelf in prison? And so Paul is actually writing to this church and giving them a very different perspective on a situation. A very different perspective. He, this, this book is a book of joy. It's a book of contentment. It's a book of uh, uh, Paul's complete confidence in Christ. He's optimistic. He's cheerful. He's happy. He's content. And he sees God doing something really great in the midst of the trial. Now, why am I bringing this up in the topic? And the, the, the reason for it is because most of us here are facing challenges on a fairly consistent basis. I used to think that, you know, if you really served the Lord and were really faithful and, you know, had your quiet times regularly and memorized a scripture and prayed a lot, that it would be fairly clear sailing and that ministry would be just, you know, constant forward momentum uh, without too much resistance because the power of God uh, was working. Well, I've been doing it for like 30 years now, and I'm finding out that it's not quite like that. 
And if you've been in ministry for any length of time, you know it's not quite like that. So here we all, all of us are, we're we're serving the Lord, God's advancing his kingdom, but we're facing obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. I often tell our church that, you know, I I just seem to go from one trial to the next. You know, I get out of one, and then, you know, I got like a 15-minute respite, and then I hit another two-week-long something or other. Are you with me? Do you understand? And so I used to want to get out of them as fast as I could. And now I'm like, I don't want to get out of them because I just got this one kind of figured out. I'm dialed in. I don't want to go to a new one that I don't know what I'm doing in. I already feel like most of the time I don't know what I'm doing. In fact, that's kind of my swan song in ministry. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And my greatest joy is being foolish and ignorant and not very talented, but coming with a heart for God and being a man that wants to seek after God, and then watching God do great things through obstacle after obstacle after trial after trial, and I've either got to get comfortable with it or I'm going to be miserable in ministry. And I meet a lot of people that are miserable in ministry because they've never accepted and become comfortable with the trials that come with ministry. Paul, in this opening section, says that to the church as they're so worried about him and so confused as to why God would allow something like this to happen to Paul. He says, I want you to know, brothers, in verse 12, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What a great perspective. I've entitled this message Procope. Can you say that? Procope. Somebody thought it was Hawaiian when I said it the first time. It's not. It's Greek. Procope. It's a compound word. Pro means toward or forward, and kope means, get this, to beat the breast in grief. And so this word, advancing the gospel, means to beat the breast in grief over all the stuff that we go through and still keep moving forward. Isn't that a great word? Prokope. Those of you that have been in ministry for a long time, you know that this is basically what ministry is. It's, it, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of pleasure, there's a lot of satisfaction, there's no life that's more fulfilling, in my estimation, than serving the Lord. But it is a process of beating your breast in grief, and you still got to show up. You know, there are a lot of times, as a, I think to myself, thank you, Jesus, that you called me to be a pastor. Because I wouldn't go to church probably half the time. I, I really wouldn't. I think to myself, with all the stuff that I go through as a pastor, I would just like to sleep in sometimes. But i got to go, i got to show up. And so God knew the weakness of my, my ability and said, I need to make you a pastor so that you'll go to church and you'll show up and, and you'll, you'll keep fighting the good fight. And so this word prokope, I think, is such an important word. And I want to I have you say it again, prokope, prokope. It's such an important word for diligent ministry. If you want to be the person that's able to hang on five minutes longer, you need to learn the art of prokope. You need to be a part of the, of the, 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 the masses of, of, of the saints of the past and the saints of the future who learn the art of prokope, the ability to press forward in the, in, in the, in the midst of opposition. Some of the ways this word is applied in, in nautical terms It means to sail into the wind in the midst of a storm and keep making progress. From a military perspective, it means to advance in the face of obstacles, dangers, and great opposition. That's what prokope means. For us as believers, as leaders, as pastors, as those that are serving in Sunday school or whatever ministry God has given you, prokope means that we are learning the art 
of continuing to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of the challenges and the suffering and the hardships and the heartaches and the trials. I was thinking about um, some of the things over the years that God has allowed uh, me to go through and our family and, and our church. And I, I really have to tell you, I'm kind of an accidental pastor. Uh, it happened in spite of me. I didn't really want it. Uh, years ago, I was uh, attending this church. This was almost 30 years ago. And uh, uh, along the way, I was working with youth. I just love serving the Lord. I love uh, I loved ministry. I just love God. And Pastor Bill asked if I would be uh, come on staff as the youth pastor. And and I, I really fought him on it for a while. I didn't really want a title. I didn't want a job. I just wanted to serve the Lord, and I, I enjoyed it. I didn't want uh, I didn't want the position. And um, but in time, uh, it was about six months later. Uh, he ordained me here, and and uh, it was a, it was a funny thing because it was like the only thing I, I decided I never wanted to be in my whole life was a pastor because I grew up in church and I didn't have much respect for pastors. And so I loved God, but I didn't want to be associated with the church. It's certainly not on a staff position. But God has a funny way of appointing people. And uh, I love Pastor Chuck's message on how he was talking about the man that God chooses, all these reluctant people. And that's exactly what I was. I was reluctant. And I, and I look back on the years of ministry on Kauai, and, and, uh, and, I, and I can see how God took disasters and took failure on my part. And he, and he created something beautiful. And so my, my boast isn't anything I've done, but my boast is, is in how God can take a reluctant person like myself, uh, that he can take someone like myself that, that didn't understand everything, that didn't get it all right, uh, but he, he took my life, my simple, normal life, and he's enabled me to bear fruit. And it's, and it's such a joy for me to brag on what God has done. My greatest privilege in life and my greatest joy is to boast in Christ and to say, I don't know what I'm doing. But my eyes are on God. And he tells me what to do. I I was trying to think about how I could summarize some of the disasters that have happened in my life and how God has turned them for good. A disaster like Paul being in prison, chained to to Roman guards 24-7, you know, and, and having no privacy whatsoever. And how God advanced the kingdom of God through the Apostle Paul in those conditions. It, it makes me think about how when I was back in New York and Becky and I were church planting back there, and to be honest with you, it wasn't going well. And, and we were praying and walking the streets of, of New York, upstate New York, where we lived, and crying out to God and saying, what do you want of us? What are you doing? And about that time, we were trying to affiliate the, the church plant with Calvary Chapel, and I had to call Pastor Bill to go through that process. And short story is, is that he told me about this church on Kauai, and we did not want to come to Kauai. We, we grew up in the islands. My wife was from the islands, but we didn't want to come back. And, um, but we came. And it's been 13 years. And the failure of my ministry and what God was doing in New York and crying out to God resulted in, in, in one of the most joyful experiences that I've ever had in my entire life, and that's serving as a pastor to these wonderful folks on Kauai. We are the luckiest people on the planet, I think. But it came out of my failure. I think about um, a radio station that in the first few years that, that we were on Kauai, I, I call them Hindu wannabes, but a Howley Hindu. And this, this Howley Hindu uh, wanted me to come up and bless this tower up on Ho'upu Ridge on Kauai. They were building this, this station. And he asked me to come up. And I said, Why? I said you, know, I, you know I'm a Christian, right? And I know you're a Hindu. Why do you want me to come up? 
And he said, well, I just want you to come up. I've, I have friends that know you. They, they think you would do a great job. So I go up there, and, and I'm, I'm doing a blessing from Jeremiah 17. It's based, based not on uh, uh, property or buildings or things, but it's based on the heart of a man that's serving the Lord. And this guy just goes ballistic on me. Right up there on the, on the ridge, there's all these muckety-mucks rich people up there. And he, he goes into a swearing tirade at me for like two minutes. And this is on a Sunday morning just before church, you know. So he flies me up there, flies me. He, he's throwing lays to all the four corners, to all the Hawaiian gods, you know, trying to undo my blessing. And, um, and then he flies me down and he says, you know, I was going to pay you a lot of money to come up here. And I said, look, how much money did I ask to be paid when you asked me? And he said, well, you didn't ask for any money. And I said, that's right, because I didn't come up here for money. I came here to serve the Lord. And he says, well, you're, you're never going to get anything from me. One year later, almost to the day, he calls me up and he says, I was watching your television program on, on, on public channel. And he said, I think more people need to hear the Bible taught like that. And he gave us a full power FM station, you know. And that station is still, it's still broadcasting there. Um, I, I look at uh, uh, the land that God has given our church. When we were in the process of looking for property, um, you know, we were looking at smaller acreages at first. And then pretty soon it was like they were so expensive. I thought, let's buy something really big and we'll sell ha- half of it off and we'll pay for the whole thing. We ended up looking at a property that had 66 acres. And as we were looking for that property, I researched it for like a year. And then my, the, the selling agent, and if any of you know anything about real estate, you know how unethical this is. The selling agent, two days before I turned in my offer on this property, it was dead. There was no offer on this property. Nobody had ever made an offer on this property. And, uh, and two days he, before I gave him the information, I was sharing all the information with him and everything, he gave it to some friends of his who were investors and undercut our offer and took it away from us. And I thought, Wow. That feels like chains. It feels like a, like a disaster. And all I can tell you is that the guy, this is, the, this is a crazy story. The guy that was one of the investors calls me up about a week later and says, uh, are you Bob Holman? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm so-and-so. And I knew his name right away. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, um, he said, I'm going to the planning department. I'm going to the building department. I'm going to all these departments to do research on this property. And every one of them tells me I need to come and see you. Because you know more, more about this property than anyone else. And I thought to him, and, and he said, would you help me? <laughs> and I'm thinking, this guy's got some guts. I'm just thinking, I, I, I'm just, in my mind, I'm just stunned. I'm stunned that the guy's even asking me. And right then, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, bless him and give him everything. So I spent two or three hours on the phone with him, and I shared everything with him. At the end of the phone call, he had two questions for me. Do you think we can make money on this? And I told him, I said, you're going to be a multimillionaire. You'll, you'll walk away from this, and you'll never have to work again. And they said, the second question is, why are you helping me? And I said, I don't want to. <laughs> but I said, right when you called me and told me who you were and you asked for help, I know this may not make sense to you, but the Spirit of God spoke to me. And he said, help him and give him everything. And so I've got the file here, and it's about five inches thick. Come and pick it up anytime you want. I'm available uh, 24-7. Anything that you need to be able to get this job done, I'm willing to help. So he hung up kind of stunned, and I hung up kind of stunned, (laughs) thinking I'd never hear from this guy again. Six months to the day, he calls me later. And he said, Bob, this is so-and-so. I said, wow, how's how's the project going? Well, we got cold feet. There are too many problems. The investors that we have are, are worried about some obstacles that we've got, and uh, we'd like to offer you the property. Now, mind you, the property was like a 1.4 million plus, which isn't that much for that much property. 
But I said to him, I said, so how much is it? $650,000. So for waiting six months on the Lord and allowing God to take us through a, a crisis like that, we got a half-price sale. I like sales. <laughs> We had a, after we got on the property, we, we, we were, were in a big tent. It's like a big circus tent with, a, uh, uh, with a, uh, a platform of asphalt, and it's great. It's all built out inside. It looks really nice. Some of you have visited, and it's always fun to have you guys over. And uh, as we were there, we'd only been there for probably less than a year, and, uh, and some, some guys in our neighborhood in the low-income housing, they call themselves a the low-income posse, and uh, they're just vandals, you know, little hooligans. They're like, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids. And they came and they broke into our container and, and, and took a bunch of stuff and got all our paintball equipment and uh, our skateboards and all the stuff that we use for our kids. They shot the whole place up and everything was tagged with paintball. And we got there in the morning. And, and one of the guys that was helping us build an office trailer at the time, he, he was just so broken over it. He's not even a believer. We've been witnessing to this guy. And he's just so broken, he calls me up at like 6.30 in the morning. He says, Pastor Bob, you got to come down right now. you got to come down right now. And he wouldn't even tell me what it was. I thought somebody was dying, you know. So I drive down to the property, and, he, and, he's, and he's just broken. And he says, you won't believe what someone has done. And he took me on a tour. Wow, it was devastating. And, uh, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the midst of that disaster and said, you need to model redemption and confidence before this man. And so I told him, I said, you know what? We're going to pray that God's going to redeem this. And that God's going to call these young, young boys back and that God's going to do something. Within just a few hours, I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. Within a few hours, 14 little boys were gathered under the tent who wouldn't confess they did it, of course, but were gathered under our tent and had come back to help us to clean it up because God answered prayer. And all those 14 little boys came to Christ under that tent. Yeah. From that was birthed a ministry. You know, my, my boast in, in ministry is that I'm the accidental pastor of disaster. That things just, I don't know, God just seems to do things. And, and, and I'm, I'm becoming more and more comfortable with the disasters in ministry. And, and more and more excited when they happen because I'm thinking at first it was like, this is awful, this is terrible, this is a tragedy. And now I'm like, God's going to do something. God's got something planned because we're right on the cusp of something great, you know, because God's working. And so here we find the Apostle Paul saying, brothers, what you think is a disaster has been such an advantage for the kingdom of God. I've had to press through, but I am advancing, Paul's saying, in the midst of beating my chest in grief over these things that are happening. The gospel's being advanced. The most recent thing that happened that uh, is a real pleasure for me and my family has happened in our neighborhood. We moved into this neighborhood about four years ago, and uh, it's a beautiful neighborhood and wonderful people there. It's probably got about maybe 30 houses in it or so, maybe the last 25. And um, we moved in with a desire to win every single one of them to Christ. And so in the first year, we're sharing the gospel, we're doing outreaches, we're inviting people over for meals, we're having Christmas caroling parties. I mean, every time we're just party, 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 trying to get people over to our house. And, 
And, uh, and they're coming, and then they find out kind of who we are, and they see, they know, they see the, the, the uh, cable channel we're on, and pretty soon, you know, some of them are really responding, and we get to lead some of our neighbors to Christ. we got about five of them now, five families coming to the church, and it's just a total blessing. But then the other ones don't like me. You know, there are other ones that just don't like me. Um, I don't mean to be too specific, but we've got a lesbian couple that lives a few doors away from us, and then a, and then a couple of homosexual men that own a house together, and then we've got the most, some of the most liberal people on our island live right in our neighborhood. Uh, I don't want to go any farther on that, but I'll just say it, that, that they know where we stand on things, and we've kind of become, in some sense, anathema to some of these people. And I'm praying, God, how can you help us reach these neighbors that are so blockaded by their perception of me and perception of Christianity that I can't reach them with the gospel? And we've been praying and praying and praying, and I have to be honest with you, I kind of gave up. Kind of gave up. And then the disaster struck. <laughs> disaster. And what was a disaster? The disaster was simply this. We had a drug house in our neighborhood. We had a, a, an absentee landlord in a beautiful home, a, over a million-dollar home, and she didn't know what was going on. And a drug addict moved in, and this drug addict became the manager of the property. And that drug addict woman brought in all her drug addict friends. And pretty soon, our, our little cul-de-sac became a highway of drug activity. And people were speeding up and down the street, and, you know, it was just awful. And kind of, the, kind of the final straw was the thefts that were taking place. So all these people that don't normally come to our neighborhood were driving through, and you could tell, you know, their cars are falling apart, and they're, they're speeding, and you wave at them, and they're, you know, they're giving you other signs along the way. And, um, and then finally, kind of the thing that, that, that got things rolling, for me at least, was two things. One is that my son was almost run over by somebody that was driving like 45 in a 15-mile-an-hour zone in our neighborhood. Almost run my, ran my son over. And then the second thing is that they stole my pressure washer. Now, you can run over my son, but you don't touch my pressure washer. It was all, I'd, only, I'd only used it like three times. I'd already changed the oil twice. You know, I polished the thing. It was like beautiful. It was from Costco. Cost 400 bucks. Well, when they messed with my pressure washer, that was it. I got together with the neighbors, and all this time, this is going on for a year, and all this time my neighbors are, are you know, talking, and, you know, they're, they're arguing, and they're fussing with each other, and they're talking about how we can get rid of this, this uh, menace in our neighborhood. And, uh, you know, one of the things that God has gifted me with is I have a little bit of courage. And so I just said, you know, I'm going to just write a, a letter to them, and I'm going to go over, and I'm going to talk to them and tell them the problems that they're causing, and I'm going to tell them we want our neighborhood back, and I'm going to pass out flyers to every person that goes to this neighborhood who doesn't belong here and tell them that we know this is a drug house, and we're taking your picture, we're writing your license plate number down, and we're working with KPD, and your life is over. <laughs> so that's what I did. I went up to the house, and I, 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 I had a bunch of guys that actually wanted to come with me. Suddenly, all these people that wouldn't talk to me for, you know, the last six or eight months, except, you know, a cordial high, are now, you know, we want to go with you. We want to go with you. And I'm like, I don't want you to go with me. I didn't tell them that. But, you know, they're going, and they want to kill these people. I want to go, and I want to love these people. I'm thinking, God, you're going to do something out of this disaster. Because i got this entire history of disaster behind me. And I know what God does with disaster, and I'm thinking, God's got a plan. And so I'm thinking, God, what are you going to do? And so I, I got one of the Christian brothers in our church to go. He didn't really want to go. He was, he was nervous. And uh, for good reason. They got like 10 or, 10 or 12 people living in this house, and they're all drug addicts. 
And so we went over uh, one evening just about maybe a week and a half ago. And, uh, and, I, and I went up, and there's, they've got a cottage. I, I met with the guy in the cottage, and his name was Mark. And, uh, and I, I told him the problem, and he wanted to read the letter on the spot, so he read the letter, and he just said, you're right. We, we're doing, we're awful. We've been awful in this neighborhood. And I said, I, you know, we're Christians. And I began to share the gospel with him. I said, could we pray with you? And he said, I'd love you to pray with me. And he just had a surgery. And so we prayed over him, and he just started crying. You know, God was just breaking him right there on the spot, you know. And he said, you need to go over and talk to the people in the main house. And I said, that's where we're going next. So I went to the main house, and there's a, a woman named Gina there. And she's the manager. She's the one that kind of started this whole process. And so we go over, and, and, and I start talking with Gina. And, I, and she's with her boyfriend there, and the screen door is closed. And she's, what do you want? You know, and I'm like, well, I just came to share a, a, a lovely note to you that I wanted to bring over. And she said, what does it say? And I said, well, let me just share it with you. And so we ended up sharing it with her. And, and um, in the course of time, you know, she began to kind of, uh, you know, soften up. And I, and I said, you know, we're not here to harm you. In fact, I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian, and I'm a lover of God, and I know that God has allowed all this to happen for a reason, and I believe we're having a divine appointment right now, and I'm just not sure why and what God wants to do, but God is doing something. She immediately started to cry. And she told me, she said, you'll never believe this, but just this morning, with all the stuff that's coming down in my life, she says, I'm, I'm lonely. She's 38. I'm lonely. I've just been from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend, from state to state to state, from house to house to house. I've got nothing, and my life is a mess. And she said, just this morning, I, I, just, I just screamed at God. I've never done this before. She has a Catholic background. I've never done this before. But I screamed at God, and I was swearing at him for the kind of life that I have. And she challenged God to speak to her. <laughs> Isn't this great? <laughs> so there, there Rick and I, are, I, my friend, and we're sharing the gospel with her and praying with her. And she brings her boyfriend over. you got to hear this. And, and the next day, I'm going to Kalalau on a, on a camping trip with the guys from our church. And I'm thinking, I'm running out of time. I don't know how we're going to help her because she's got to move out. She's being evicted. All these things are taking place. And there, there are some gals in our church, my wife and, and um, uh, Shay McIntyre, who's here this morning, and some of the women from our church went over there and they helped her and they blessed her that next day with a garage sale and helped her pack. And she's getting the love of Christ. And here's the bonus is that they all moved out of the neighborhood. That's not the bonus, but they did move out of the neighborhood, which is a blessing. But now disaster has become the hero of the neighborhood. And all these neighbors that wouldn't talk to me before are saying, you've saved the neighborhood. You, you, it, we, 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 we haven't slept well in a year. And, and now it's, now you, you came along. We're so glad you're in this neighborhood. We're forming a family neighborhood watch for our neighborhood. And, and they're, they're all just like, they want to talk to me. They want to speak with me. They want to have us over for dinner. The lesbians want my son to come over and mow their lawn. They want to pay him. The homosexuals are talking to me and we, we have a friendship. And all these things are going on. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking... The advancement of God in the midst of trial. Procope. Say it again. Procope. This beautiful word of God. This beautiful Greek word. Beating the breast in grief. I still don't have my pressure washer. I'm still sad about that, by the way. I'm asking for full redemption. I want uh, everything that God had in plan, but I want my power washer back, too. (laughs) So I'm still praying on that one. But in the midst of all these things, I'm learning, even after all these years, what it means to procope. I'm learning what it means to be comfortable with unpleasantness and difficulty. 
Even as we're here, I'm just coming off the heels of having to uh, go through church discipline with a beloved friend of mine and his wife, who are just precious friends. I discipled him. My wife discipled her. And uh, they're a senior to us, but just beautiful people. And they've left the church. And I'm beating my breast in grief, even as I'm up here thinking about it. But moving forward, that's, that's, that's what God has called us to. He's called us to be people like that. I want to fast forward, and I, I've got all these notes I planned on, on sharing with you, and, I, and I'm going to skip them all because I want to spend just a couple of minutes at the end in prayer here. In, in, um, in the latter part of verse 25, or actually verse 25, if you look in that text there, this word actually comes up again because Paul is, is communicating to the church the fact that in spite of all of these things that God is working, in spite of all of the challenges, God is, is aggressively, forcefully advancing his kingdom. And Paul shares his own personal heart, and he says, I'm so blessed by what God's doing, and yet none of it can hold me back if God wants to take me to be with Christ is better by far. But then he says this in verse 25. He says, it's, or verse 24, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Take a wild guess what that word progress is in Greek. Wow, you're a genius up here. Prokope, it's the same word. Paul says that not only is he a man that has heroically learned the art of prokope, the ability in the midst of ministry, and you have grief. In the midst of ministry, to beat your breast in grief and keep going forward anyway. And then he says, I must stay. I must stay to teach you in the midst of the challenges you're facing in ministry to learn to prokope. It's for your progress in the faith that I still remain. And so Paul, again, emphasizes this whole concept of prokope, this ability to keep going even in the midst of all of this grief. And it's interesting that uh, when we look at, at uh, Paul encouraging Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, this is the advice he gives to Timothy after he says, be an example to the flock. And again, we're talking about mentoring and discipling and passing on this wonderful faith we have. In the midst of, of being an example and then retaining and holding on to these deep truths of the faith and, and communicating them with people, he says to Timothy in verse 15 of chapter 4, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Guess what that word in Greek is? Prokope. I always thought of that word as just meaning that, you know, just keep running the race and, and, uh, and winning. But it's far more than that. It's, it, there's agony involved. In fact, Paul mentions this a little bit later. He says that in, you've seen you, the struggle in me, the agony. It's agony in the Greek. The same word that we have in English. This, you know, two steps forward thing. One step back. This facing into the wind and not giving up. This ability in the midst of the challenges to keep pressing ahead heroically. Maybe only five minutes longer than someone else. But five minutes is sometimes all it takes. And what I want to share with you is that you are men and women of God. You have been called by the King of Kings. He has sustained you all of these years. 
And you are sustained because of the power of his mighty hand in your life. And he loves you. And he has a purpose for you. And some of the greatest days of ministry are ahead for you. And some of those days, and I would suggest maybe the best of the days, are coming through the challenges and through the heartache and the hardships and the trials and the disappointments and even the disasters that come your way. If you can see it from God's perspective. The church in Philippi was a fairly young church, about 10 years old, and they couldn't possibly understand the value of what could be derived from the disaster of Paul being chained for two years, being released and then being martyred. But Paul had God's perspective, and he said, man, I'm chained. These guys think I'm the prisoner, and he's preaching the gospel 24-7. The Bible tells us that the whole Uh, the whole household of Caesar heard the gospel. He says everywhere the gospel is being heard because of this. It's just like Paul is shocked. He's excited. He's saying this is a disaster from a human perspective, but because of the capacity God had given him to procope, it turned into one of the greatest blessings of Paul's ministry. His heart was to reach Rome. And God, through this seemingly disastrous situation, brought about the advancement of the kingdom. And I want to share with you that there are things in your life, I know there are things, so many are struggling. If, if the statistics are right, and I, I, I would assume that doesn't apply to Calvary chapels, all those statistics, but we are touched by those facts, that there are probably many of you here who are struggling. Some of you are thinking about quitting ministry. Some of you are thinking about the, maybe God will never use you. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not talented enough. Maybe it's time to go back to secular work. Maybe you're in a Bible study and you were in secular work and you want to quit witnessing. You just, you've become overwhelmed by all the things that are going on in your life. You're having trouble in a, in a marriage relationship with your children. I don't know what the, what the challenges are. All I can tell you is that uh, I'm kind of an expert on disaster. And I'm learning how God can take disasters and turn them into some of the greatest advancements for his kingdom. But it does require, on my part and your part, the capacity to procope. Say it again. Procope. To be willing to beat our breast in grief in the midst of the challenge and still keep moving forward. That's the call that God has. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't cave in. Don't capitulate. Our Savior is almost here. The work is almost finished You can make it. God will help you. But we have a part, and it is to procope until our Savior and our King comes. And you will be rewarded. You will receive the gold. You will receive the pleasure. You will receive the commendation from your great King. And he will acknowledge your capacity to beat the breast in grief through the midst of the challenges of life and to still keep advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to finish uh, by praying for you and asking God to give you the capacity to procope. The capacity to keep going. The capacity to have vision that maybe you've never had before for a challenge or a problem that you thought was a disaster, that you've been grieved over, that you've been challenged by, that you've been struggling over possibly for years. And I want to pray that God is going to turn that around and God is going to show up big time And he's going to turn what seems to be a disaster into one of the greatest advancements in your ministry and the life that God has given you for his glory and his praise so that you, like me, can say, I don't know what I'm doing. 
but my eyes are on God. And God, to his glory and praise, takes normal people like us, and he advances his cause in such a way that everyone around looks and says, it couldn't be him, it must be God. And in those moments, the light of Christ shines, and people's hearts are opened, and the gospel is advanced. Father, we thank you for this, this time this morning. And God, I thank you for these men and women who are so faithful. God, they love you. No one in their right mind would be here day after day, night after night, coming to all these events if they weren't servants of yours, if they didn't long for you and desire to, to please you. These are your special servants, God. And I'm asking that you would give them the capacity to procope, to even in the midst of the grief and the trials and the challenges and the losses and the disappointments that come and accompany ministry. God, as they beat their breast, as they go through the agony, I pray that you give them the capacity to advance the cause of Christ. And it would be marvelous in your eyes. And it would be a blessing in ours. And God, it would lead to such joy that together we would be able to celebrate the advancement of your name, the advancement of your kingdom, and the advancement of your purposes in these final days in which we live. So God, may the name of Christ be lifted up. May your glory be magnified. And even as we suffer, even as Paul suffered, even as the church in Philippi suffered, agonizing at times, God, may you bring honor and praise and adoration and exaltation to your great name. And as your name is lifted up, may you draw all men and all women and all children all around us in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as they watch, as they observe how a man or woman of God handles the challenges of life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.